0: Hoy mates, and welcome to This Week in Nickelodeon History. I'm your captain, Captain Eric, and welcome aboard to another episode where we're covering some Nickelodeon anniversaries in between the times of May 29th to June 4th. And I just want to give a quick shout-out to the Lemonades, a member of the Ready crew out there who was able to help me uh, figure out a problem with the recent PC game I covered on I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast, Employee of the Month the very first SpongeBob SquarePants point-and-click adventure game, the second SpongeBob PC game, and I covered it over there on the show, which normally, yeah, I do play the game um, and then talk about it, but... I wasn't able to get footage for some previous games beforehand. And now that I have that ability, I'm starting to to get some footage. And unfortunately, there was a problem with some of the graphics of the game that wouldn't load up on modern computers. But the Lemonaze sent me an email and helped me out with that. So I wanted to make sure he got a big shout out on both of my podcasts. So uh, Lemonaze, thank you so much with those efforts. And if you would like to check out my gameplay of Employee of the Month, you can check it out at the Captain Eric YouTube channel. Just look up episode 114 of the Squarecast, and my uh, bit of my playthrough is going to be featured on there i will be uploading a 100 playthrough of employee of the month after i upload the rest of the games that came before it but uh we'll get there in due time so make sure you're subscribed to the captain eric youtube channel and hit that bell for notifications anytime i upload anything now on to this week in nickelodeon history As we start 38 years ago, on May 31st, 1984, we had the final episode of The Third Eye. Now, I just want to state that there is no concrete information right now as to when the final episode aired for The Third Eye. The only statements I can find is that May 31st, 1984 was the final date, and although that exists, there are some other sites that list it as May 31st, 1985. Um, Now, pretty concretely, we have confirmation that January 8th, 1983 is the premiere date of The Third Eye due to a post made by the Nick Box commemorating the anniversary uh, on an an earlier January 8th. I don't know if it was from this year. Now, The Third Eye is an anthology series for Nickelodeon that consisted of several English-language sci-fi serials from both the UK and New Zealand, serials being like, you know... Not really a movie, but more short-term episodes you would watch through. And this featured a bunch of anthologies from The Haunting of Cassie Palmer, Under the Mountain, Children of the Stones, Into the Labyrinth, and The Witches and the Grinegog. Uh Now, this aired for about a year or two on Nickelodeon's programming, but was eventually taken away off of their schedule from the then-Nickelodeon president, Geraldine Laybourne, as The Third Eye was just a bit confusing on on their schedule, and honestly, Nickelodeon at this point wanted to focus on more original programming instead of just featuring uh, pre-existing programming from around the world. Also 38 years ago, on June 3rd, 1984, we had the premiere of Nick Rocks. Uh, It started out as Nick Rocks Video To Go, but then was shortened to Nick Rocks. It was a music video television series that aired on Nickelodeon for about five years, from 1984 to 1989. And it featured pop and rock music videos over about a 30-minute time frame, presented in a countdown format. Uh, The show was typically hosted by a man on air known as Joe from Chicago, who would be there in between music videos, uh, usually on location somewhere around the country, um, uh, hearing viewer requests for very specific music videos, and also they featured some special guest hosts over the time frame of this show, including The Monkees, and also They Might Be Giants, one of my favorites. Now, when you remember that Nickelodeon is owned by the same company that owns MTV it then makes complete sense as to why Nick Rocks would be created. They didn't really have to do much work to help get the licensing for a lot of those music videos. So I got to imagine that there's a a nice handful of music videos that aired on both Nickelodeon and MTV. I mean, if they were featuring the Monkees and they might be Giants, and I got to imagine a few other acts that that were MTV-appropriate also aired as well. One year later, 37 years ago, on June 3rd, 1985, Turkey Television premiered on Nickelodeon. Created by Roger Price and Nickelodeon president Geraldine Laybourne, the show was made at the request of Nickelodeon by the creators of You Can't Do That on Television because of that show's immense success on Nickelodeon. They just wanted more of it. And although the show did feature certain cast members from You Can't Do That on Television that were immensely popular at the time, it doesn't seem like this show reached anywhere near its predecessor's popularity and only lasted about a year. Eight years ago, on June 2nd, 2014, Webheads premiered on Nickelodeon. Executive produced by Ryan Seacrest and presented by Big Time Rush's Carlos Pina Vega, The show ran for one season of 40 episodes and is a game show, essentially, using the internet and the best of videos uh, as its content. It's four contestants competing in a series of viral video viewing challenges. I, unfortunately, have not seen this game show at all, but I, I love the concept. Um, I dig the idea of trying to bring in viral videos into a game show format and not just, hey, regurgitating them on the screen. So it's a bit of a spin while still being able to re-air those videos. So I I really like that. Uh, Six years ago, on May 30th, 2016, we had the final episode of Lost in the West, a comedy Western miniseries that lasted three episodes on Nickelodeon, directed by Carlos Gonzalez. Also, six years ago, on June 3rd, 2016, we had the premiere of All In with Cam Newton, a reality series following Cam Newton, former quarterback for the New England Patriots and current quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. It was a reality series that ran for one season of 20 episodes. But let me just say, it wasn't just about Cam Newton. It was also about Cam Newton helping kids get close to achieving and accomplishing their dreams and it also featured special appearances by Lisa Leslie, Sutton Foster, Michelle Obama, and uh, in my world, I mean, I love Michelle, and I love you, Michelle, but he comes after you in my in my realm, but Mr. Tom Kenny and Bill Fagerbakke, SpongeBob and Patrick, respectively, appearing on an episode of the show that featured a young animator by the name of Josh, aspiring to to of course, work for Nickelodeon Animation. And uh, Josh, you, you lucky guy, you know? I'm an aspiring animator who is not really working towards it, but just working at Nickelodeon. I I would love a tour. My goodness, you, you lucky guy. Uh, yeah, so good on for Tom and Bill for uh, appearing on that episode. Also, they meet Chris Savino of, uh, of The Loud House and Butch Hartman, who is also working at, at Nickelodeon still at that time. Also 6 years ago on June 3rd, 2016, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Out of the Shadows premiered in theaters uh, from Nickelodeon Movies. Directed by Dave Green, the movie was produced for a budget of $135 million and went on to make $245.6 million at the box office. Uh, this was also and and notoriously known for being associated with Michael Bay due to the fact that his production company, Platinum Dunes, produced it. Uh, Michael Bay himself did not direct this movie, but just his association with the Transformers, another beloved 80s property brought to live action in, in not the best of ways. But I honestly really like these Ninja Turtles films, and I especially like Out of the Shadows more than its predecessor its predecessor was a, a bit of a mess in places but there were things about it i liked it certainly wasn't my uh, my least favorite turtles film but it was nowhere near my favorite which is going to be an impossible feat because that original film is just is just so perfect i mean you're talking about not only the greatest teenage mutant ninja turtles movie ever but we're talking about one of the greatest comic book adaptations ever that original turtles film uh, but the the Michael Bay one, the, the 2014 one, was okay. Out of the Shadows, though, I absolutely adore. From just the basic idea of finally bringing us a live-action bebop in Rocksteady, but also Tyler Perry as uh, Baxter Stockman I really dug in this movie, but also Brad Garrett as Krang. We finally see the Technodrome in live-action. I had a bit of a of a nerdgasm if you will in the theater when the full technodrome came into sight and just seeing that eye on the top and it was like here it is. Wow. You you, you always wanted to see what that would look like as a as a live action massive movie like death star type device and here it is. I I was blown away. I love the way that they dealt with Krang. I loved Bebop and Rocksteady. I really enjoyed Out of the Shadows and I wanted to see what they would do with a third film. Um, Especially with the fact that they teased up the possibility of Baxter Stockman getting transformed into the fly version of himself. That would have been cool to see on the big screen. And I mean, the CGI realistic looking fly with at least the cartoony attire would have just been perfect. And what other classic villains would you have loved to see done in that third movie? Uh, the Rat King being introduced would have been something I, I would have enjoyed. Shredder teaming Shredder and Krang teaming up with the Rat King to try to, to get at Splinter, and I, I don't know. We unfortunately don't really get to know what happens, because I don't know what they're doing with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle films. I know that there's an animated version coming out, but as far as the live-action ones are concerned, Out of the Shadows is the last one that we have for now, and it's a good one to end on. If you've never seen it, and you were just weary about the the turtles and the designs. Let me just tell you there's a bit of a fix in between one and two there's something about the redesigns and out of the shadows that fits better and they just don't look as gross looking as they do in the first one. I know any still photos of the characters might look similar but just in motion and there's just something about them. There's differences that work. They made those designs work for that second movie and just maybe I'm biased because of the inclusion of Bebop and Rocksteady but at least I'm open about it. They really don't think that it was that financially successful, grossing $245 million, but that's what's called Hollywood accounting, ladies and gentlemen, because there's so much of Hollywood accounting that you don't see. You're told the budget is $135 million? Let me tell you, that doesn't include the amount of money that they spend on marketing or any of the other expenses that have to do with outside of making the movie, the presentation of the movie, putting stuff out for theaters, making products for the movie, and then if the movie's not profitable all of that just condenses down. So uh, I hope we get to see the turtles live action again. I hope they go back to the, the Jim Henson workshop and just go back to make like physical, tangible suits. I mean, you you can't even hold a candle between which turtles are better looking, the CGI monstrosities we have or the, the suits of that first movie. And, And they downgraded with each one, but I got to imagine in 2022, The the Jim Henson workshop could come out with some absolutely jaw-droppingly amazing-looking turtle suits. And and that just would be the best foot forward. You make the suit, you get the technology, and you make your movie. Don't worry about all of it in post because all of it in post just is not as good. Just remember that. It's not as good. physical suits will be better than anything you could produce in CGI. I'm waiting to be proven wrong. And at some point in my life, I'm hoping like 60 years old and I'm watching a live action CGI Turtles movie with CGI turtles that will make me finally go, "Man, this is better than that that Turtles movie that came out 60 years ago. Way to go, guys. We finally did it." 3 years ago on May 31st, 2019, Welcome to the Wayne finished its run. ...on Nickelodeon. Created by Billy Lopez, the show ran for two seasons of 30 episodes. I'm proud to be able to say this, but premiering this week, on June 3rd, 2022, we have the premiere of Face's Music Party, the long-awaited return of Face to Nickelodeon TV screens. I cannot believe this. If you grew up as a kid throughout the 90s and you watched any amount of Nick Jr., then you know Face. You remember Face. He is an unforgettable Face. And it's a Face that I miss, and it's good to see him back. Even if he doesn't look the same and he doesn't sound one-to-one, just the concept of Face is a concept that should have never left the TV screens. The idea that your TV is a character itself that can talk back to the audience is just i I love that i love face i adore him and it was just it was wonderful to hear that not only is he coming back to the screen but he's getting his own tv show and from the sound of it a music party with face seems like a pretty awesome idea i mean he would constantly sing songs uh and and play jokes and just be a wonderful presence to have so i i implore if you have kids give face a shot even if you're like from the offset you're like oh this isn't the face i remember you know what it's not about the face you remember. It's about the face that's going to have a connection with your kids, just like the face that you remember had a connection with you. And uh, and and I, I welcome Face back to our television screens. Welcome back. And in honor of Face coming back, I thought it was appropriate for this week's top five for the captain to give you my top five Nick Jr. shows, shows that originated on Nick Jr. Now, This is a really rough criteria because it's just... There's no way to really gauge when it comes to preschool shows their quality because each one brings something unique to the table that I do think is important for a growing mind. On your average day of Nick Jr., you could have shows that deal specifically with math, shows that deal specifically with creativity, shows that deal with critical thinking, and you know each one in their own way is important. So when it comes to this list... This is just if you were to ask me, hey, you have to pick 5 Nick Jr shows to watch right now. Somebody has me hostage and I have to pick. These these would be the shows in this order I would I would choose. Number 5, Gullah Gullah Island. I have a lot of love for Gullah Gullah Island. Um it seemed like the coolest place to go. I wasn't Really the biggest fan of the beach, but man, did I really want to visit this island and hang out with some of the coolest people I can remember. Um, people that I would absolutely just run to and open arms with right now, Ron and Natalie uh, Alston, who were not only the creators of the show, but were the stars and just seemed like the most welcoming people on television you know beyond anybody who was on Sesame Street honestly some people on Sesame Street felt like actors were were Ron and, and Natalie here just felt genuine and I loved that and it, it I'm look at this I'm not even talking about the Binya Binya frog. and you would think that him being the mascot I would I would rave more about him but it was just honestly Ron and, and Natalie's Presence on my television screen that that was comforting it made me feel welcomed and like I said I like I just wanted to visit the island of Gullah Gullah I just wanted to be there I wanted to party and hang out yes with the Binya Binya frog, but um, I just I loved that place I loved its environment and I think it's still a show that would still work You could just rerun those episodes today and that show would still work number four the one the only lazy town it was a show that I bonded with my brother over as he was growing up. Uh, he was born in 2004, and as he was growing up, the big show on Nick Jr. at the time was LazyTown, so it was a show that we both got to enjoy. And, man, I, I you know, one one piece of, like, kudos I could give to a preschool show is if you have some catchy music involved. And let me tell you, there's some catchy songs in LazyTown, specifically You're a Pirate, but then... Let's not forget we are number one to the biggest meme hit of Lazy Town's history. Although maybe "You Are a Pirate" is the most legendary one. Either way, both songs sung by Stefan Carl Stephenson, believe that's how you pronounce his name, but his portrayal of Robbie Rotten is 110% why this show is on this list and why I adore Lazy Town so much. Um, all kudos to uh, Magnus. Sheving, the creator of the show and also the star as uh, Sportacus does some absolutely incredible work and for all of that to come out of his head and honestly I implore you if you're a fan of lazy town and never really looked into its history go and watch the trajectory of that show. Starting out as a stage show, moving on to an even uh, more close to the television version of the stage show, then you can see where they came up with some of the characters that would then make their way to the TV, and then they included the puppets for the TV. It's, it's bonkers. Like even go watch the first version of Lazy Town it's in its first introduction, where there's no puppets. You can see like Ziggy is still a character eating candy, but then everybody else is, is off and different and it's it's wild. But this man has been working on this show for decades, it seems, and it was finally great to see it in its full truest form appear on, on Nickelodeon and uh and Robbie Rotten was just an absolutely amazing character to watch and and Stefan's performance of him along with all of the songs he sang was just it's just legendary it's stuff of legend absolutely love lazy town and uh and I like I said just the connection I have with my brother there I'll always adore number 3 on the list might be a bit shocking to some given that out of almost all of the Nick Jr shows this this might be one of the tamest ones and and I mean yeah, I'm even talking tamer than Gullah Gullah and Lazy Town, but I'm talking about Little Bear. The television series created by Elise Homeland Minarik and also illustrated by Maurice Sendak is a show based off of a line of books by both of those creators. But the show is just a treat and delight of my childhood. Um, the the words that I can use to describe Little Bear are calm and honestly needed. And when I say that, it, it just feels like shows like Little Bear came to me at points in my life where I maybe needed a show to kind of take it easy, where it didn't need to be on the gas pedal and and just shoot story and jokes at you all the time, that it was okay to just slow down a little bit, breathe in the fresh air, take in the scenery, watch the show and it, it was a show that just I, I never turned the channel away. For for other people, Little Bear might come off as a boring show and they might not catch on to it. But you know, I was about four or five years old when when this was on and fresh and new and I absolutely fell in love with the adventures of Little Bear, Emily, Owl, Duck, Cat, Hen, and of course Mother Bear and Father Bear. This is this is what we're dealing with. It's not anything too crazy the adventures that these characters go on are not too crazy but it's just about being yourself um, being kind to one another enjoying the friendships around you and just learning to take it easy once in a while and I'm glad it went on as long as it did and uh, for as much as I praised that show for taking it easy and not throwing too much at the viewer um, this next show number two I'm not going to say it throws a ton, but in terms of concept, it's definitely throwing a lot more than Little Bear is. But number two is the one and only Maggie and the Ferocious Beast, created by Michael and Betty Parakivas. Uh, It is one of my favorite Nick Jr. shows, number two. Honestly, only because of one character. As much as I love Maggie and I love the character of Hamilton, the show that ran for three seasons of 39 episodes has my uh, undying love because of The Ferocious Beast, voiced by Stephen Wimet, who also voiced Beetlejuice in the animated series, um, is one of my favorite animated characters. Not my top ten, but just one of, one of my favorites. I have a special place in my heart for The Ferocious Beast and his iconic Great Googly Moogly line. I don't know why, as a kid, but whenever he said that, it made me laugh. I now I don't like it; doesn't make me laugh hearing it. You know, if somebody says it, I don't, uh, you know, uncontrollably burst out into laughter. But when I was a kid, for some reason, when this big monster said "Great Googly Moogly," I just I just laughed. I don't know why, and it's it created a core memory enough for me to put Maggie and the Ferocious Beast as my number two on this list. But I'm sure if I if I threw a, a poll out there, if you could guess what my number one would be, this would probably be the top voted answer. But my number one favorite Nick Jr. show is, of course, Blue's Clues. The one and the only. Back on our, on our screens again after all these years with Blue's Clues and you. Blue's Clues is an absolutely unforgettable show with a live-action Steve in a world of cartoon characters where his soap and his alarm clock talk and he constantly is playing a game of hide-and-seek with his dog in their way of communication. Blue wants something or wants to do something, and instead of just kind of pointing out or doing what she wants to do, she likes to play a game of Blue's Clues, in which she will leave her paw print on three clues for Steve or Joe or uh, eventually, uh, what's his name, Josh, to find throughout the house, all over the place, three clues that they're going to draw in their handy-dandy notebook and then sit down with the viewer to figure out what it is that Blue is trying to say. And it is a tried-and-true formula that no matter the host, no matter the era, no matter the time, works for kids because it's just a fun show. It's fun and inviting, and let me tell you, I've watched some episodes of Blue's Clues on Paramount Plus not, In terms of like, I'm going to sit down and seriously watch this. But uh, even just having friends over like, hey, let's just throw this on the background. You're having a couple of drinks and you throw on an episode of Blue's Clues. It's still it, it talks down to preschoolers, but it is still a quality show. Even the old show, if you have kids, Steve and Blue and the adventures of Joe and Blue are still worth your time. And I adore it to this day. But that is going to be this week in Nickelodeon history. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. If you have any Nickelodeon related questions or any general questions for myself, you can reach me, Captain Eric, at Nickelodeon at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. At I'm Ready Podcast and on Instagram at SpongeBob Podcast. Please check out my other podcast, I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast, dropping every Wednesday on most major podcasting platforms. And don't forget to subscribe to the Captain Eric YouTube channel, where you can also click that bell to be notified whenever the captain puts something out. You can also purchase new and updated merch at the Redbubble link, either in the podcast description or or from the link in any of my socials. Anything that comes in through my projects goes directly back into my projects, and it is always appreciated. As always, please stay safe out there. Be kind to one another, and come aboard again to another this week in Nickelodeon history. On the Lord, here we On the Lord, here we are. On
1: the rickety while, living number one, Nickelodeon.